For patients with HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer, there have been significant improvements in treatment with pertuzumab, trastuzumab, and TDM1. But more recently, a new drug, trastuzumab tercetican, or TDXD for short, has been making waves. It has been shown to be very effective in the third line setting. However, most recently there have been studies exploring it earlier on. And today we'll dive into the study exploring the efficacy and side effects from this treatment in the second line setting. Welcome to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Pavni Chalasani and joining me today to talk about the Destiny Breast O3 trial is Dr. Erika Hamilton the Director of the Breast Cancer and Gynecologic Cancer Research Program at Sarah Cannon Research Institute at Tennessee Oncology. Dr. Hamilton, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's begin with some background on the DESTINY Breast O3 trial. Can you tell us about the study design? Absolutely. So trastuzumab druxtecan is not a new drug for us in breast oncology. As we know, it was initially approved for patients that had seen at least two previous regimens for HER2 positive breast cancer. So in other words, it was for third line and beyond. And specifically, the Destiny Breast O3 trial looked at trastuzumab druxtecan versus TDM1. So the so-called standard second line regimen at that point. And the results were previously reported, resulting in a 72% reduction in the risk of progression with trastuzumab druxtecan compared to standard TDM1. And what was updated at ASCO 2022 was essentially follow-up and more safety information comparing trastuzumab druxtecan to traditional TDM1. Great, thank you. So I know you briefly mentioned about the results, but in general, when the results were announced, had it changed your practice? Yeah, so, you know, it, it had already been presented in terms of the 72% reduction in the risk of progression. What we updated at ASCO was now with a longer medium duration of treatment for trastuzumab druxtecan. So the treatment duration is now over 16 months. We looked at, in general, grade three or higher treatment emergent adverse events, and really they were quite similar between trastuzumab druxtecan and TDM1, 53% with TDXD. 50% with TDM1. We also looked at side effects leading to the drug being stopped. And that was a little bit more frequent for trastuzumab druxtecan. About 14.8% of patients had to have drug um, stopped versus only 7.3. But this was largely driven by the about 8% of patients receiving trastuzumab druxtecan that had to stop drug due to ILD or pneumonitis. We also looked at side effects kind of across the board. So nausea, vomiting, and alopecia, or in other words, hair loss, was more common with trastuzumab druxtecan, whereas fatigue was actually quite similar between the arms. I think one of the new things we looked at that I wasn't as familiar with is something called exposure-adjusted incidence rates, or EAIRs. And really, exposure-adjusted incidence rates are looked at for trials where the treatment duration and follow-up may be different between the arms to really kind of, in other words, standardize what we see in terms of adverse events based on how long somebody may re res stay on drug. We know that our patients on trastuzumab druxtecan had a much higher uh, treatment duration than those with TDM1. And when we looked at these exposure-adjusted incidence rates, 
everything was actually lower with trastuzumab deruxtecan compared to TDM1, except for that adverse event leading to treatment discontinuation that was driven by the ILD pneumonitis. Yes, that was something I was not familiar with until I heard you talk about that during the ASCO. So thank you for going in detail and explaining that even further. So digging a little bit deeper into the ILD that you were mentioning, but any other, you know, ILD or any other adverse events of special interest which were unique to this class of agents? Yeah, I think that there are two adverse events that it's probably pretty um, important to understand. So let's tackle the ILD pneumonitis first. So about 8% of patients had to discontinue due to ILD pneumonitis. And that's really because of the increased awareness and recommendations around ILD pneumonitis with trastuzumab deruxtecan. I think we all remember back in the initial Destiny Bresto 1 trial that there were cases of fatal pneumonitis that I think worried us about bringing this drug you know, up into earlier lines. Luckily, in Destiny Bresto 3, with these increased recommendations that I'll dive into in a second, we saw a 10.9% ILD pneumonitis rate, but no grade 4 or grade 5, and grade 3 was actually only 0.8%. So we've managed to eliminate these serious cases of ILD pneumonitis, and again, this is around the recommendations that the drug be discontinued for grade 2 ILD pneumonitis or higher, and a little bit different from some other drugs like immunotherapy, etc., we even hold the drug for grade 1 pneumonitis. If the pneumonitis resolves on imaging within four weeks, we can rechallenge the patient. If it does not, then we don't rechallenge the patient. And so what this has taught us is that when we're a little bit more vigilant and a little bit more strict with our holding around trastuzumab deruxtecan, that we can very safely give this drug and eliminate the more serious cases of ILD. The other side effect that I think is pretty important to have awareness around is the nausea and vomiting that I spoke to. You know, this is more common with trastuzumab deruxtecan than, say, another drug like TDM1. In general, it tends to be mild and manageable. But what's important is when we were initially enrolling patients in Destiny Bresto 3, there were no mandatory antiemetic, you know, in a prophylactic fashion. Now, because we recognize that trastuzumab deruxtecan is moderately emetogenic, it's actually recommended to use a multi-drug regimen up front to prevent nausea and vomiting in our patients before it occurs. And so most often in the United States and in my practice, this is a three-drug regimen. This is a 5-HT3, dexamethasone or a steroid, as well as an NK1. And I think now that we're doing this, now that it's part of trastuzumab deruxtecan's label, we're really doing an even better job treating nausea in our patients. When we looked in the assays of the study kind of over time, it looks like nausea vomiting, as probably would be expected, peaks in the first or second cycle, but it really stays pretty consistent over time. It doesn't get worse. It also doesn't go away. And so I normally start with this three-drug regimen for my patients. If they're not having any nausea, we can drop things out. If they are having nausea, we can add things on. But I think that the three-drug regimen is a good place to start. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yes, that is definitely something we should definitely take into account because that is something the patients experience as they're getting treatment. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Pavni Chilisani, and I'm speaking with Dr. Erica Hamilton about the Destiny Breast O3 trial for HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. So one other quick thing just to ask and follow up for the ILD, do you routinely recommend the testing like pulmonary function tests like prior to patients starting on therapy, you know, if they had any prior 
history or while on therapy? Is that something you do in your practice? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, that's a question that a lot of people have been asking, you know, is there a way to predict this before it happens? Or is there a way to pick out individuals that may be high risk? It doesn't look like pulmonary function testing helps us much. Um, you know, there's been a lot of analyses across studies about, you know, maybe people with a smoking history, or do they have higher rates, we really can't figure out who it is that gets interstitial lung disease pneumonitis, and the mechanism is still a little bit unknown. The best way for us to manage this and monitor it really is with routine CT scans. And so for many of our patients, this happens at the restaging scans that we're doing anyway for their treatment. So certainly, you know, grade one is asymptomatic pneumonitis ILD that's only picked up on a scan. Grade two is any symptomatic ILD. So if a patient's complaining of new cough or shortness of breath, that's a grade two event. And so that's somebody that the drug should not be restarted in. How this plays out in my clinic is that with trastuzumab deruxtecan, you know, for a drug that somebody may be on for two years, et cetera, a CDK4-6 inhibitor, oftentimes I may space out the scanning interval a little bit. For trastuzumab deruxtecan, because I kind of need those scans to find this early grade one pneumonitis ILD before it gets more severe and the patient wouldn't be able to go back on therapy, I tend to not stretch their scans out much beyond two months. And so I really kind of keep my scanning interval pretty consistent um, as a way to find this pneumonitis ILD and about 10% of patients that it'll happen uh, for in, in earlier before it becomes problematic for the patient. Thank you for that. So one of the things that I just wanted to ask is in the context of clinical practice, how have you been applying these results in the treatment strategy for patients with HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer? Yeah, it's always a, you know, a little bit of an interesting spot when we get a trial result, but yet we don't quite yet have the expanded label. Um, it's always easier to get the drug for that indication if it's already an approved drug like trastuzumab deruxtecan is. And so I have been successful going ahead um, and getting it for patients in second line. We anticipate seeing uh, an approval and expanded label and, you know, as part of NCCN, ASCO, ESMO guidelines, et cetera, shortly. Um, but, you know, I think that this really um, was pretty impressive in its magnitude of benefit compared to TDM1 in the second line setting. And so I do think that this is going to become our new standard um, for second line. Certainly, our current standard for first line metastatic HER2 positive disease is a taxane in combination with trastuzumab and pertuzumab. And then we certainly have other drugs uh, available in neoadjuvant, adjuvant setting, et cetera. I think it's important to note, you know, where will trastuzumab deruxtecan end up? Um, we certainly have approval um, third line and beyond. We now have this result in second line. There are a host of trials looking at trastuzumab deruxtecan in the first line setting. There are trials looking in a so-called Catherine setting. So for patients that have neoadjuvant therapy and have residual disease, where we would typically think of TDM1, um, there's a head-to-head -head TDM1 versus trastuzumab deruxtecan trial. And then there are also neoadjuvant trials um, asking you know, whether we can give trastuzumab deruxtecan for several cycles up front. Um, and avoid traditional chemotherapy years. I like to tell my patients naked chemotherapy that isn't targeted specifically to the cell. Oh, great. Is there anything else you wanted to comment on or speak or expand on? 
I guess the one other important thing to maybe just mention about trastuzumab deruxtecan is obviously the plenary presentation at ASCO um, in June of 2022 um, for our HER2-low patients. And I think this is really a paradigm shift. Um, you know, we certainly have had trials testing trastuzumab or other HER2 agents in patients that may not be HER2 high or traditional fish positive or three plus by IHC, but have some HER2 expression and they've been negative, but trastuzumab deruxtecan and Destiny Breast 4 was certainly positive by a landslide. And I think this really just speaks to the different mechanism of action, the antibody drug conjugate in particular, and also the bystander effect of a drug like trastuzumab deruxtecan, where it may only take a very little amount of HER2 expression to get the drug in and then influence cells around it to die. So I think that there's a few action points from that. You know, certainly this spans across what we would typically consider triple negative and hormone receptor positive disease. And really, this is probably about 50% of our breast patients that this is actionable for. And so I think, you know, our job in the community as an oncologist, you know, across the United States is to make sure that we're having these conversations with our pathologist, that an IHC of one plus or two plus is now actionable, and to make sure that this information is in our notes. Um, I have to admit that some of my notes, um, you know, would say kind of, you know, her too negative by fish and maybe dismiss the IHC. And over the past year or so, I've definitely been going back and making sure that I capture this information as this is very soon going to be actionable for our patients that we would traditionally consider triple negative or hormone receptor positive that have some low HER2 expression. With that information in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Erica Hamilton, for sharing her insights on the Destiny Breast 3 trial for HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer. Dr. Hamilton, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. I enjoyed it. I'm Dr. Pavni Chalasani. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash project oncology, where you can be a part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.